morning. Looks like some of you don't use smartphones. And you, I assume this is a daylight savings thing. Perhaps not. Let's pray. Father, may we remember these words that were written for us from you in Isaiah 43, that you are the Lord, and that the wind and the waves cannot harm us, the flames cannot consume us, because we are held fast in your hand, and our, our future is held secure. So, Father, help us this morning as we seek to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding and faith as we study your word together. Help us to see one another as we, the bride of Christ, the body, the church, have gathered together this morning to the praise of your name. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What do you see when you look out over the world? When you consider the, the needs of the world, when you consider the, the problems in our society, what do you see when you think of uh, the issues in our schools? What do you see when you think of the, the, the issues in our government? What do you see as a, a need when we look at our geopolitical situation? What do you see as a need in your, in your own life? in the life of your family, does it all feel overwhelming if you think about just the needs? Does it all feel just almost impossible? Who am I to take on these impossible tasks? Does our world need more money or or more natural resources? Does our world need more institutions? Does our country, our cities, our states need more programs? Do our schools need more books or more funding or or whatever it is? These are issues that politicians debate. And that's, of course, normal and that's natural. But can I make an outlandish suggestion? That what the world needs, what our country needs what our schools and our families need is not what they are looking for. Everything has symptoms. Most of what we think of as needs are really just symptoms. What we need is what Jesus shows us in these verses from Mark's gospel. What we need is Christ, and Christ has given us His Spirit. And Christ has given us His church. And the title of our series is Jesus, Servant and Savior. The, the Savior, He saves, He rescues. The servant provides and He cares for His people. And that is what we see here in Mark's gospel with these two contrasting events uh, in these verses. I think this should be a great help and and an encouragement for us today 
And a great reminder for us as we go about our tasks, as we go about our daily lives, as we consider the the needs of the world and of others and of even ourselves. Well, we come across four groups in these verses. One is a group that Jesus has just dealt with for the whole last chapter. It's the opposition. It's the the religious leaders. It's the scribes and the Pharisees and the scribes of the Pharisees. In our section from last week, what were they doing? They were questioning him. They were accusing him. They, They watched him, waiting for him to make a mistake or something that would offend them so they could call him out, so that they could be justified in their uh, uh, anger towards him. They plotted against him with their own enemies, the Herodians. Just imagine having someone keep watch over you at all times, waiting for you to make a mistake, waiting for you to be caught in a compromised situation, weighing and and judging each and every word that that comes out of your lips, judging every move that you make, every decision that you take, this would be very stressful. And this is not your spouse that we're talking about here. I think the closest thing we would have to this would be a world politician. It's probably why U.S. presidents look like they've aged 50 years Uh, over such a short time span, if you see the before and after photos. What an overwhelming existence this would be. And most people, they just want presidents out of office. Jesus, his opposition, wants him destroyed. And they're partnering up with other groups to, to see that he is. Let me turn to our passage for today. And what do we have? We have a, a different group. We're exposed to a new group of sorts. It's the crowds. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. These aren't just the, the, the local people around Capernaum. These are masses from way outside, if we could put the the map up for just a second. Oh, I should have made that bigger. Okay. (laughs) I'm coming over here. So this is Idumea down in the south. So this is uh, where the Edomites were. These are the the, uh, descendants of Esau. And then I should have got a laser pointer, but up here in what is now Lebanon, in the brown region where it says Phoenicia, this is Tyre and Sidon are up there. So, so the, in Idumea, where the Edomites were, this is sort of a half-breed Jew-Gentile mix. And, and up in Tyre and Sidon, that's almost exclusively Gentile communities. So the people, and then of course we have Jerusalem and Judea, and so there are, there's a, a huge mixture of people that are gathering together. They are, they're from different regions of, the, of, of, of a great span of space. And they're from different ethnicities. Just to come and see Jesus. There's a real movement happening here. And what is it that all of these people want that have come hundreds, hundreds of miles to come and see this person? What is it that they want when the great crowd heard all that he was doing? They came to him. 
And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him and and touched him. If you are at all claustrophobic, this this is a it's kind of a an overwhelming image. I remember once touring around in India, and we were I was walking through one of these old palaces. And I remember just the sea of humanity, and we're all trying to get to each room and, and upstairs. And I remember it was the first time, like, I'm not a claustrophobic person, but I remember for the first time just feeling the crush and the weight of, of the people, and, and almost feeling like my life was coming out of me. And I thought, if I could die here, and, and probably no one would notice, <laughs> we'd just fall to the ground. But, but that feeling of, of being uh, crushed by, by just a mass of people. Now add on to that that these aren't healthy people. These were people with diseases. So if you were a germaphobe, this would have been absolutely terrifying. Now if you're a germaphobe who's claustrophobic, this would have been your worst nightmare. But look at what the crowd was doing. They're coming to Jesus, and they're crowding around him. They're, they're, they're grabbing him. They're, they're touching him. It's a really overwhelming image that, that Mark is depicting for us. I'm overwhelmed just, just trying to picture it in my own mind. It's a, it's a picture. What is it a picture of? It's a picture of great need. It's a picture of great need. Now, do these people know what they really need? Not fully. They're looking at their symptoms, their disease, their illness, their health, and they believe that this is their one true need, to be healthy. Now let's add a third group. The demon possessed the unclean spirits, verse 11, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. These people, the ones that are bringing the demon possessed, what do they want? They just want their friend or their family member to have the evil spirit taken away. They want the person restored to the way they were. They want their friend or their family member to be the way they were before. This is their symptom. But they believe it to be their only need. So not only are the the religious people watching Jesus' every move, plotting against him, judging him, questioning him, but there are crowds from all over crowding him, crushing him, clinging to him. And now there are demon-possessed people shrieking out, falling out down before him, crying out. And Jesus is seeing all of this. All of this. And the disciples are looking out, and they're seeing all of this playing out down by the lake. The needs are great. He's overwhelmed. It's a great reminder to us of of Jesus' humanity. That like us, he gets tired and he gets worn out and and he can be exhausted and and overwhelmed. He doesn't totally abandon these people. He doesn't see them coming and then, you know, sort of run and get in the boat and leave. 
No, he heals. He, he stays with them. He, he casts out demons. But th- there comes a point where he has to leave because he has a larger trajectory in all that he is doing. He, he has a plan and a purpose to his life. He has a, a goal and a specific timing th- that he is on. And he's, as he's making his way to the cross. Because the reality is, as we've said in weeks past, the people think their greatest need is physical healing. The people think their need is just the removal of evil spirits. But Jesus knows what they really need is spiritual healing. That the, the, They need a restored relationship with Yahweh. They're merely dealing with the consequences of life in a broken world. And filled with compassion, Jesus is addressing those needs. But they are not his ultimate goal. They are not his ultimate goal. A crippled person gets healed only to die in their sin and spend eternity in hell. What is that? That's like putting a Band-Aid on a, on a, on a mortal wound on your head. A demon-possessed person has a, a demon exercised only to spend eternity with that demon in hell. What is that? What kind of relief is that? No, what Christ has come for is far greater and far more important than temporal issues, than circumstantial issues. He he has ultimately come for eternal issues. The very thing he was always going to do. And so it is at this point that the narrative actually shifts. And we go from the the, the chaos and the the overwhelming nature of this scene at the lake, the desperate needs at the lake, the physical needs at the lake, the antagonism, the desperation, the complexity of the gathered groups together at the lake. And we see Jesus retreat for prayer and time with his disciples. Verse 13 He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. We have a shift in scenery, a shift in the tone, a shift from the chaos to the calm, a shift even in the verbiage. He withdraws from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and uh, with his disciples, and then the crowds follow, and they are coming, and then the, he gets on the boat, ready to withdraw from the crowds. Then the language moves from people coming, 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 coming with their felt needs to Jesus calling. Jesus calling because of purpose. And he calls to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him. And this calling is something more than just let's hang out together on the mountain and you know, see the views. This is the calling of the twelve. And there is great significance taking place here. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. 
He goes up on a mountain. He appoints 12. There's so much rich Old Testament imagery pouring in from this text. We think of Moses going up on the mountain to mediate a covenant. Jesus goes up as a new Moses. And he appoints 12, a very significant number for Israel. 12 tribes of Israel. 12 apostles. Do you, do you see what's happening here? This is, the, this is the beginning of the establishment of the church. The new Israel. The true people of God. The, the, the people of the new covenant. He, he's gone up the mountain, leaving behind the needy people who need leadership. The people who are directionless. The people who come because of felt needs. And he's going to return with the men who will lead the leaderless and the directionless. And they will lead by proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the real need over the felt need. And, and, and pointing to the, to the climax of prophecy. The, the one that Moses promised would come. The Messiah that, that they had been anticipating. The king that they needed. The mediator of the new covenant. But here's the interesting thing. This scene, it's not as dramatic as, as Moses going up the mountain and he, and he comes down and his, his face is shining because he's been exposed to the glory of God and the people you know, cry, you, you have to cover your face because they're terrified and it's shining too brightly. It, it doesn't have the fanfare that we would read about in the Exodus account. No, he goes up a mountain with 12 ordinary Jewish men from different backgrounds, from various different experiences. But from that place and from that calling, the seeds of the church are planted. He called them. He desired them. He appointed them. In the midst of great stress and great need, Jesus calls his servants. He's calling them to be with him. He's calling them to be sent out by him. This is what apostles mean, sent ones. He's calling them to preach. He's calling them to have authority to cast out demons. And consider what the disciples have seen. They have witnessed how Jesus handles opposition. They have witnessed how Jesus handles the crowds. They have witnessed how Jesus handles evil spirits. And he is providing them a, a model of how to live these things out. But the uniqueness of Christ is not that he is merely a, a, a guru and he says, uh, just do as I do. But Jesus is providing the model and the means because if the apostles were to go back down to the lake and attempt to meet the needs of the people there, they would be crushed. None of the needs would be met. There is no healing apart from Christ. There is no exorcism apart from Christ. There is no response to the opposition of the religious leaders apart from Christ. The needs would just continue on and look for some other source of relief. And worse, the true needs would never be addressed or met. 
as everyone carries around them the death sentence hanging around their necks. But the apostles have been given this experience with Jesus. Jesus in his humanity, being attacked by opposition, being crushed by the crowds, being prematurely announced by evil spirits, being overwhelmed, and yet he still ministers. He still addresses the felt needs. He is the servant who serves. And we see how the apostles handle these exact things. We think of uh, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. In the book of Acts, after the blind beggar uh, asked for money uh, uh, to address his need, his felt need. And the apostle replies, silver and gold have we none. But what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then they're thrown before the, the, the Sanhedrin, before the, the ruling leaders. By what power and what name did you heal the lame beggar, they are asked. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved." Now, when then they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. We think of dealing with the crowds. Peter stands before the thousands at Pentecost, and what does he do? He, he preaches salvation in Christ. They thought that their need was to to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. When what they really needed was not the shadow of Passover, but the Passover lamb himself, Jesus Christ. And 3,000 are added to the church. Or Paul and Barnabas at Lystra in Acts chapter 14 when they are thought to be Zeus and Hermes. And the people are offering sacrifices to them And after they'd healed a man. And what does Paul do? He tears his clothes and says, do not worship me, worship God. And then he preaches the gospel to them. Their felt need was to worship something, something that looked powerful, something that was bigger than them. Their real need was to worship Christ. When the apostles are faced with demons in Acts chapter 19, we we see these uh, Jewish itinerant exorcists. They're trying to invoke the name of Jesus to cast out demons, and the evil spirit looks at them, and what does he say? Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but essentially, who in the world are you? And when the apostles do command evil spirits to come out, it is always in the name of Jesus. See, he's not just the model but he is also the means. You see, he, it's, it's, it's that he is the means by which they preached and had authority over these evil spirits. The, the apostles have been given eyes to see the, the needs of the people, the way Christ saw the needs. 
And while he will address their deepest, ultimate need on the cross, he is also gracious and kind to relieve the felt needs when the opportunity comes. Because oftentimes, it is through a felt need that an audience is one and, a, and a greater, uh, the greater need can be addressed. Think of how many people came to Jesus and they were in such desperate need for their situation. And when they received the relief or the healing or the removal of demons, they, they took up and followed him. Now, just a word about our list of the apostles here in these verses. None of these men were very impressive. We've, we've kind of been looking at them over the last several weeks. Um, Sons of Thunder, whose mommy has to ask if they can sit at the left and the right of Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, who's been cast out by just about everybody. And yet it's by these men, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the entire world will be turned upside down. And just think about this. You drive down the street, there's a church on almost every corner of most major cities. And that all started with these 11, soon to be 12 later, bumbling, simple men. It's unbelievable. And it's, but it's not through just them. It is by Christ who chose them and sends them out and uses them. And look at what they've accomplished. Look at this room here gathered together early, daylight savings time. But then there's two special notes from this list. Judas is at the bottom of the list, and he almost always is. As a reminder of how close a person can get to Jesus and yet be totally lost. And the second is Simon Peter, who's almost at the top of every list. And the reminder of how you can royally mess up your commitment to Christ and yet be a rock in his purposes. I changed trajectory on this sermon probably five times this week. Uh, in fact, I finally came to the conclusion Friday afternoon. I, I thought at first that it was about being overwhelmed, the, the image of Christ being overwhelmed and, and connection with, uh, with us as people. But then I kept thinking about what is the tie in here with the calling of the twelve? And I think it's the, it's the necessity to see the need. He's got people from all over the region, from, from Gentile background, from Jew-Gentile background to Jewish background, legalists and, you know, hyper-grace people, I'm sure, And what does he do? He looks out. He sees the need. 
He knows that he's going to return to the Father. He knows that the Spirit will come down. But he needs to appoint people to stand up and take this faith to the ends of the earth. And he does it by means of choosing the last people you would probably ever pick. Fisherman, tax collector. So what does this say to us about the needs that we see in our world, in our country, in our cities, in our states, in ourselves, in our neighborhoods? It says to us that one of the primary means that God uses is the church. It's not flashy. It's not even impressive, really, most times. And yet, in using these broken vessels together, God reaches the lost. God reaches the needy. It says to us that addressing the physical needs can help in the greater need of salvation in Christ. Think of how many people have, have received help from a person or a friend and, and, and an opportunity to share the gospel presents itself and then that person is willing to listen, to pay attention, to hear what they have to say. It says to us that Christ is our model and our means. Well, I told Paul about Isaiah 43, which is why we got our little flashback song there. Let me read to you from it. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba as in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind and yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together. And the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me is no God, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. And so if you rest secure, if you rest with the assurance of that, that nothing can harm you in terms of nothing can steal your soul away, you rest secure in the most safe place there could ever be. 
So what is it that could keep us from looking out and seeing the needs of the world and then being filled with the Spirit and a part of a body, the church, and serving? Meeting needs without a fear of loss because our greatest need has been met. Oh, that we would have the eyes of Christ to see the need, to address the need, to know that people need Christ. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for these truths that we can rest in knowing that you have called us and you have sent us. Though we are not the capital A apostles and they have special rights, but we are still lowercase a apostles. We are sent ones and we have your word and we have the truth. And as your disciples, Lord, we ask that you would help us have eyes to see the world, the community, the the families that we're in, to see the need. And that we shouldn't be afraid of attempting to help with the, the physical apparent need that's before us, for that is what Christ did. But he's ultimately putting the pressure and the emphasis on what is to come the afterlife, the eternal. So, Father, with that set before us, help us to go out as your servants, as your called ones, knowing that we rest secure with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.